I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy, first chapter. This is Paul's second letter that he wrote to the young pastor Timothy. We'll be reading from the first chapter. This is a uh, particularly well-known passage of Scripture in my home. It is one that the kids have a song uh, that is meant to set uh, one of the verses here today uh, in their remembrance. And uh, the song says, Second Timothy 1, 7 speaks unto my soul. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And uh, we want to look to that here today. And uh, Let's go ahead and read. We're going to start with verse 3, and we'll read down through verse 7 in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's writing again to the young pastor Timothy, and he writes, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also. Verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that's verses 3 through 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing to the young pastor Timothy here again in his second letter, and he's writing to encourage him. And as he's introducing here in the the start of this letter, he is making thankfulness unto God or expressing his thankfulness to God for, for his prayers that he has for Timothy that are constantly upon his heart. He knows that the tears, he knows the struggles of being a young pastor, of being a young minister. And Paul is encouraging Timothy by letting him know that he's praying for him night and day. And that he desires that there would be a joy that they would share together and seeing each other again. But while they are apart, he wants Timothy to know that Paul is praying for him. And listen to me, there is no greater confidence that a man can have than to know that those that love him are praying for him. It it gives you confidence when you are going through circumstances of life, to know that there are those that are on their knees lifting you up to God in prayer. Doesn't it give you a a, a peace of mind to know that others are praying for you? Brother Gary had surgery last week. When somebody is going through something like that, that we think is just so routine, and we hear about surgeries all the time, and Perhaps medical technology has has advanced to a place where it does seem as though it's routine. For the person that's undergoing it, it can be a frightful thing. But even those moments are, are met with peace when you know that people are lifting you up in prayer. There is a power that comes upon the people of God when the people of God are praying for one another. 
And so we see that here as Paul is encouraging the young pastor. And he calls to remembrance, both Paul's and and Timothy's remembrance, of the unfeigned, the genuine and sincere faith in which Timothy was raised. Timothy had good matriarchs in his life that raised him in the faith, dating back to his grandmother Lois and his mom Eunice. And Paul is reminding him of that good stock that he comes from. He's saying, Timothy, you have been taught this faithfulness from the time that you were a child. Your grandmother taught you these things. Your mother taught you these things. There was a generational faithfulness that Timothy was a part of. And that's a a great blessing. Listen, I know not everybody comes from from that type of line. Some people come to the Lord and they come to the knowledge of, of the truth as a result of things that happen, not because of what's been handed down to them over time, over the course of, uh, of generations, but they come to it l- later on. But those that have had that generational faithfulness instilled in them, it is a great blessing to be raised According to the, to the truths of the Word of God, listen to me, parents, the best thing you can do for your children is bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what Paul is indicating here concerning Timothy. He's saying, you have been taught the faithfulness of the Lord from a child because of your mom, and even before that, because of your grandmother. And he says, and I'm persuaded that this faithfulness is in you also. But there must have been something going on in Timothy where he was having some some, some struggles, having some difficulty carrying out the gift that he had been entrusted with, no doubt the gift of of the ministry. And so Paul writes in verse 6, he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, I'm calling your mind to remembrance in all of these things, that it would stir up in you the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So no doubt Paul had, had put his hands on Timothy and, and, and ordaining him and charging him in the ministry. And he's saying, you have this gift, this calling that has been entrusted to you, and I want that to, to call that to your remembrance. So the question is, what was going on in Timothy that was causing Paul to, to have to call his mind to remembrance concerning the ministry? What was impeding Timothy in his progress as a minister? Well, verse 7 gives us some light on what that was. He says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. When we look in context here of these verses, it seems as though... Timothy was dealing with some fear concerning the ministry. And Paul is writing to encourage him that he would be able to to overcome that fear as it relates to the ministry to which he had been called. He said, God has not given us the spirit of fear. And I want to talk to you for a little while about that, about fear. Early on in my pastorate here at Faith, someone that I count as a mentor came up to me after service, after, after one Sunday, I don't know how long I had been preaching, but I had, had came to me one Sunday after service and kind of wrapped his arm around me and he opened up the scriptures to the first chapter of the book of Jeremiah. And there's a verse there, as Jeremiah is being called by God to be a prophet, in which God tells Jeremiah to not be afraid of their faces. Do not be afraid of the faces to whom God was calling Jeremiah to prophesy to. 
And what, this is Brother John, so I'm talking about, what Brother John had noticed about me is that very early on I had a habit where I wouldn't be looking at the people that I was preaching to. I had a habit of just kind of looking down here, kind of avoiding eye contact, not wanting to look at anybody to see if anybody was asleep, I guess. And so Brother John just took me by the side and he said, don't be afraid to look at people. And it encouraged me. We have fears that impede us. Sometimes they are small fears, like the one that I just named, according to similar to, to, to a ministerial fear. But then there are also those big fears that grab a hold of us and they paralyze us. Have you ever been paralyzed by fear? You can't make a decision in life because you're afraid of making the wrong decision. You're faced with something that that is just too much for you and you're afraid of it and it just almost causes you to freeze up and you can't move forward with what God has called you to do or what God is desiring for you to do because of the fear that is dwelling within you. There is a bodily response that fear produces that even causes that when there are situations of danger. But then spiritually, we seem to have that same trouble as it relates to being fearful. I want to read one verse of Scripture to you found over in the book of Isaiah in the 41st chapter, verse 10. This is God and He's giving instruction uh, concerning Israel and what would ultimately be their judgment as well as their restoration. Listen to what He says. He says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Did you hear what God said? God gave a commandment not to fear. The Christian life is one that is called away from fear. Fear should not be a present state of the Christian. Sixty-three times in the Scriptures, we hear, fear not. Some 20 other times, we see the Scriptures tell us to have courage. Sixteen other times, we're told not to be afraid. The Bible tells us again and again and again that the Christian who has set their trust and their faith in God should not fear. So what then do we do? How can we face this challenge of fear? First, we need to understand the realities of what fear causes in the life of a believer. When we find ourselves to be met by fear, when I'm talking about fear here, I want you to know I'm talking about it in a very broad sense. So, so there are all sorts of things that, that can cause us to, to be fearful, all sorts of things that can cause us to be afraid. There are those immediate dangers that we might think about as it relates to those great big fears. Listen, you walk through a bad part of town late at night, it's natural to, to have a fear, isn't it? Concerning your situation and your environment and your surroundings. There are fears like children have of, of the dark. There are fears of being lonely. There are all sorts of fears that that can impede us as we look to the things that God has called us to do and again and again and again in the Scriptures we are told not to be afraid. No matter the circumstance. No matter the situation. I can't go through all 63 of those different times in the Scriptures when we're told not to be afraid, when we're told not to fear. (laughs) I could, but I don't think I'd have anybody left by the time I got done listening to me. 
But the reality is that if we were to go through all the context of them, what we would ultimately see is that it is a command of Scripture. Did you hear me? It is a command of Scripture not to be afraid. Did you know God's not afraid of anything? He's not fearful of nothing. That's Johnson County speak. (laughs) He has no fear. Why would he? He is sovereign and in control over everything. So God has no reason to fear. And in the presence of God, there is no reason to fear. Isn't that what the psalmist wrote? He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When you are in the presence of God, there is no reason to fear. And so what happens then is that we can understand that when fear grabs a hold of us, it is because of sin. You say, it is because of sin that I am afraid? Yes. Oftentimes, we are afraid because of sin, because of the most awful or heinous sin. The sin of unbelief, the sin of doubt is what causes us to be afraid. We see this in the life of the disciples over and over again. They were seeing things and experiencing things that they couldn't understand. And they were seeing the things that Jesus was doing. And they were seeing how He could, could, could sleep through an awful storm while they were all fearful. They would see Him coming to them on night and some would believe that it was a ghost. Yet Jesus would answer and say, Don't be afraid. The disciples were learning about how fears and the the realities of those things were troubling them. And time and time again, Jesus was pointing out that the reason for their fear was their doubt. It was their unbelief. At the source of our fears is unbelief. It is doubting. It is lacking the faith and trust in God that He will keep us and that He will protect us. And that even if there would be some circumstance of life that would bring us harm, it would be because God is working something in us through that harm. I was reading a sermon last night as I was trying to just wrap my, wrap my arms around this, this command of God not to be afraid. I, I, I just didn't quite understand how, how to work that. You know, I, I knew that we could, when, when we had a deep faith in God, when we were near Him, that we didn't have to be afraid. But, but I guess I was struggling to realize that it was a command of God not to be afraid. And so I did what I often do when I struggle with understanding something. I go back to, to see what C.H. Spurgeon had to say about it. I went and I was reading a sermon that C.H. Spurgeon preached. And he was preaching to his congregation. And he made a note. I'm just going to tell you what he said, so you don't have to be mad at me. You can be mad at the guy that lived 150 years ago. He said that if you are fearful, it is because you are weak in your faith. He had a lot more boldness than I think I do. (laughs) He said it's because of weakness. Why is that? What causes us to, to, to have this weakness that results in fear? In the 25th chapter, I believe it is, and now I'm saying 25th chapter, I'm beginning to doubt that. 
we're going to go with. And in the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew, we see there that there is a parable that, that Jesus is telling us, and it's about a parable of, of, of a master who is going away. Before he goes away, he gives to three of his servants these different talents, or just some large sum of money, that, that the unit of that money is a talent. And so he gives to one of his, his servants five talents, and he gives to another one of his servants uh, uh, two talents, and he gives to another one of his servants one talent. And he entrusts them that while he's away, that they would be good stewards of those talents, and that they might come back, that there would be some gain that his servants have made while the master is away. Well, so the master goes off after leaving these talents with, with these different servants, and the one that had the five talents, he trades with those and, and uses those to get five more talents, so that when the master comes back, he had five talents, now has ten. The, ta- the one, the, the servant that was given the two talents, he does similar, and he takes and he uses those two talents to, to make two more, so that when the master comes back, he has four talents. But to the servant that was only given one talent, he was fearful of losing the talent. He was fearful of losing the gift that the master had left with him or entrusted with him to steward. And so what did he do? He didn't take that talent and go and use it to to make more, to, to be profitable to the master. But instead he dug a hole and he buried it in the ground. The master comes back from his long journey to settle the accounts with all of his servants and he comes to the one servant that had the five talents who now has ten and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. He said that you have been faithful in the small things so that he would become ruler over the big things. He said, enter in. He said to the one that had two talents, the same thing. He said, you have been faithful in the small things. He said, so you'll be ruler over more, enter in. Yet to the one who had the only one talent, he comes to him, the man that had only the one talent that hid it in the dirt, and he begins to explain that the servant does to the master of why he hid it in the dirt. And he said, Master, I, I know that you are a hard man. See, the first problem this, this servant had is that he didn't truly understand the nature of his master. He said, I know that you are a hard man, and that you reap in the place that you've not sowed, that you were able to make gain in different ways. He, he knew the master's ability and his skill that resulted in him having these great possessions, but he misunderstood the character of his master, that his master was, was, was hard, was a hard man, was the belief of this servant. And so he was afraid that if he took and he squandered what he'd been entrusted with, that his master would be very wrathful against him. And so he tells the master, he says, but look, listen, you know, I dug this hole and I put this talent in there. And and so look, you still have it, right? He's trying to spin it as a good thing of what he did. But the master was angry with him. And he said, you could have taken this and you could have deposited it in the bank. When I came back, I'd have at least had some interest on it. He said, but instead you've dug a hole. And he says, oh, now I have less than, than what I had before because you didn't take and do those things that would have been profitable. And so he called him lazy and an unprofitable servant. And ultimately he ordered for this unprofitable servant to be cast into outer darkness where there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The man was afraid. And his fearfulness made him an unprofitable servant. Now at the core of that was unbelief. This man was not one of the master's own. He was not a true servant to the master. We see that as a result of his punishment. But I want you to see 
that when we are, are, are just paralyzed by fear, that it impacts our profitability to the Master. Do you see that? We are called to overcome fear. That we would do away with fear. We are commanded not to be afraid. Now, as I mentioned earlier, God knows all about the realities of the human condition. He knows that there are moments when we're afraid. He knows that there's moments when we are fearful. And so what we find then is that we are not called to somehow escape fear just by some ability to to compartmentalize and and not deal with it. Listen, I want to tell you, I don't like the feeling of being being nervous or being afraid. And so a lot of times I just avoid it, right? I, I just won't deal with that feeling. I'm about ready to, 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 to change jobs. Tomorrow's my, my last day at my current employer. And there's a lot of nervousness that, that goes into that. I've, I've never done this for, you know, since I've gotten out of college and these things, and, and it makes me nervous. Well, if you want to know how I, I, I avoid being nervous, is I just refuse to deal with it. I just don't acknowledge those feelings. That's not what God's telling us to do. He's not saying just don't acknowledge you being fearful. He's saying overcome it. The spirit of fearfulness is not one that God has given us. God does not desire His people to be afraid. I want to say that again. God does not desire His people to be afraid. We should fear Him, of course. We should have reverence for Him. But He does not desire His people to be afraid. So what then? I want to go back over that verse that I read earlier in the book of Isaiah. I want you to see a couple of things about this verse. Just quickly, Isaiah 41. Listen to all the things that God says in response to to, to the individual. He says, Fear thou not. Why? For I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Again and again and again, God sees our fears. And the ability that we have to overcome our fears is to trust in Him more and more. The greater our trust in God, the more we are able to overcome the fears that are in front of us. Now, let me mention something just quickly, because I'm sure it's rattling on in your minds. You know, over the last two years as we've dealt with this pandemic, I have heard people try to make this this bold proclamation of faith over fear and and all of these certain things, and and I understand the idea behind it, uh, faith over fear, and there's an element of truth to it. But I want you to know it's been tossed around so much that it's kind of been dealt with haphazardly of the reality of what that would, would actually mean, what that would look like in being lived out. Because you can say faith over fear and you can say, no, nah, I'm not going to worry about this thing. You know, it's, it's good. I've got faith that God's going to take care of it. Listen, that's not the faithfulness that allows us to overcome fear. It is a deepened trust where we pursue after God, acknowledging Him before Him our fear that indeed there are things that would terrorize us. There are things that would cause us so much worry and angst and anxiety because they could harm us that we take those things to God in prayer and we say, God, I don't know the situations. They're too much for me. I can't make heads and tails of them, but I'm going to trust them to You. 
I've been a little worried at how often I hear this faith over fear comment that, that people have been making, and I think that they're, they're trying to, to have some truth in it. But the reality of it is that if you deal with it so flippantly, you're not understanding how to truly overcome fear. If you're going to overcome fear, it's going to be because you make a move towards God. You see that? When we draw closer to God, fear is removed from us. Because fear has no presence in the presence of God. There's peace there. There's a comfort of mind there. There's a freedom in the presence of God. All right, so so let's look here at how Paul instructs us to overcome this. And listen, I want to be very clear. This is not a, a pandemic message. I just know that would be rattling around in your minds. So I wanted to address that just quickly. Because if we're honest, there's a lot more than a virus that causes us to be afraid. That might be the latest thing over these last two years, but at some point this will all be behind us and it's just going to be something else that causes us to be afraid. There are all sorts of reasons that bring fear upon us. When fear comes upon the child of God, it impacts our ability to serve Him as He desires us to. And so we need to understand how to overcome it. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. He says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. He said, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Or you'll see other translations that will render that as self-control. So let's just very quickly here, and I'll try to close and be brief here. But let's just very quickly look at these three, these three things. He first says power. This is the courage that we are called to take on. I mentioned earlier all those times that we are seen to to be courageous or to take on or or to be brave. My favorite way that the Scripture puts it is over in the book of Corinthians where it says, Quit ye like men. That's King James language where it says, Be brave like a man. Like a valiant, battle-scarred soldier. Be brave. We are called to be courageous. We are told by Jesus that we are more than conquerors. How are we going to be more than conquerors if we are afraid? We are able to be more than conquerors because of the power of God and the courage that it gives us. I can stand up against the wiles of the devil, not because I am of some great ability to withstand his schemes and his desires to, to trap me or to harm me, but I can withstand the devil because God is far more powerful. My grandmother used to tell me this. She'd say the true warrior never turns his back on the battlefield. We face it on. Didn't we see that with that old ruddy country boy, David? We see that he looked and he saw the challenge that was being called before him. But he wasn't afraid of Goliath. Now listen, he had every reason to be afraid of Goliath. He had knew about the, the armies of the Philistines. He knew just their stature and their height and their ability and their, their, their power and their strength and their might. David had every reason to be afraid of the giant. But why wasn't he? He told us why he wasn't. He said, I have confidence. He had faith. He had trust that the same God that had delivered him out of the paw of the bear and out of the mouth of the lion would be there with him that he could defeat the giant. 
So David went and he grabbed five smooth stones and he grabbed his sling and he ran. Scripture tells us he ran out to meet the challenge of the giant. He had five stones, but we, only, we know it only took one. And do you know how Goliath ultimately was, 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 was defeated? By Goliath's own sword. <laughs> there is no need to fear when God is with us. Have you ever met a timid conqueror? That'd be an oxymoron, wouldn't it? No. We have been given this spirit, the spirit of power, the the, the spirit to make a resolution within ourselves that we can take on the challenges that God calls us to, no matter how much they frighten us. Listen to me. You. I want to individualize this. You, though you may in fact be the weakest member of the army of God, you have been given the spirit of power. Isn't that cool? Yeah, little old you. Listen, some of y'all, you're, you're just young and you're, 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 you, know, you haven't even broadened out yet. Yet God has given you the spirit of power to take on the challenges that He knows you're going to rise up against. Next, we're told is he, he has given us the spirit of love. John would later write in his, his first epistle that there is no fear in love, that perfect love cast out fear, that there can be no fear in love because fear brings with it something that would, would be of, of a trial, of, of, of some torment, some punishment. So he said there is no fear in love. Let me ask you a question. Some of you right now, if somebody was to come in and, 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 and harm somebody else, harm your children, harm your wife, harm those that you love, you would jump in front of a bullet for them, wouldn't you? Why would you do that? What would give you the courage to step in front of a bullet but love? You love those that are around you. You love your family. And so you're willing to take on things that would otherwise make you afraid because of love. You're willing to endure hardship. You're willing to endure pain. You're willing to endure things that might harm you because of love, because of the spirit of love. It makes us courageous. Isn't that funny how that works? That love makes us courageous. We see this with Jacob and Rachel. We see countless examples throughout the Scriptures of a love that we would have for one another. Yes, that would make us courageous, but more so a love for God. Isn't that what we see with Daniel? And Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they had a love for God that when they heard the decree of the king and they knew that there would be a punishment, they had no fear concerning the punishment. Why? Because their love for God was far greater than the fear that that punishment might bring. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they went into that fiery furnace. They did not know if God was going to deliver them or not. They believed that He could. But they told the king, they said, we don't know if he will or not. But what we do know is we will not bow down to your idol. They said it's God's business if he desires to save us. And glory to him if he does. But if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. It was a love for God that allowed them to overcome fear. What causes your children to be afraid? Your children are like mine. It's normally two things. One, my children aren't fans of the dark. 
They don't want to be left in the dark. They, they, they prefer that there be lights on. You know, through this winter storm this week, there's a couple times the power's flashed off for, for just a, a few seconds. And, man, my children, you would have thought that our house had fallen down. They got so afraid of that. The other thing that they're afraid of is being alone. They, they, they don't want to be left alone. They, they find that they are more courageous when I am nearby or their mom is nearby. They feel like they can take it on. They're, they're not so reserved. They're not so, so timid when there is the presence of those that they trust. You see where I'm going with this? I think you probably should. We know that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And He is with us. We are never alone. And so we, in fact, can overcome fear because God loves us. And because He has given us the spirit of love, we can overcome fear. Finally, a sound mind, or or, or as I said earlier, self-control that you will see in these other translations. (laughs) I was just talking about my kids. I'll give you another example of them. Every now and then, before they'll even fall asleep, Maverick or Lila One, they'll come into our bedroom and and they'll be afraid and, and they'll say, Dad, I had a bad thinking. Don't make fun of their grammar. We homeschool and their mom's from the South. <laughs> but they'll come in and they'll say, I had a bad thinking. What happens is they're laying in bed and they're allowing their mind to wonder with just the normal fears that children have over things. And before long, their mind was carried away and those fears became just ir- irrational to them that they couldn't go to sleep because of the fear that came upon them. And we laugh and we think, oh yeah, children do that. But we do that too as adults, don't we? We lose sleep at night thinking about all the worries of life and suddenly our minds begin to just take us out into places and concerns. And before long, we're believing these darkest fears of our hearts are true all of a sudden, aren't we? And these irrational thoughts take us further and further down the road. But God tells us He has given us a spirit of a sound mind. To be able to rationalize, to to consider and to think through things about all the situations that we find in life. Let me just, I'll I'll take just a minute here. You know, concerning this pandemic, ultimately I believe that God's going to take care of this thing and at some point it'll just be completely behind us. But what I worry about that is that there's going to be some people that are just never the same. That it's going to take the working of God in their lives to renew their minds beyond the fears that have grabbed a hold of them here because of this. God has given us the spirit of a sound mind. And He desires for us to be able to think through these things and to to use a reason about us and use an ability that He's given us to to have a sound mind, to, to think and to consider what it is that we can, can do and, and how it is that we can understand the things that we are going through. <clears throat> he's not given us the spirit of fear, but He's given us His power that we can be courageous. He's given us His love that we can stand against the things that otherwise would make us fearful, knowing that His love 
compels Him to be with us even in the midst of our worst fears. And He's given us the spirit of a sound mind that we can think and we can consider. And just as Paul told the Romans in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That when we find ourselves for those fears that they've just grabbed a hold of us, we can't quite work through them, that we can take those things to God and He can help us and transform us and renew our minds. So He's given us these things so that we can overcome fear. All right, let's wrap up here. I want you to know today that I hope my prayer, just as Paul's was to Timothy, that this is a word of encouragement to you. The reality is is that all of us deal with fear. Timothy was called by God to pastor and he had learned at the feet of the man who wrote the majority of of the books that we find in the New Testament. He had the best instructor that he could possibly have concerning the things of the ministry, yet he still dealt with fear. The best among us still deal with fear. We deal with doubts. We deal with anxieties. We deal with with worries. So this is not something to try to rebuke whenever you're afraid. Listen, it is natural. You know what else Spurgeon called fear? He called it a disease of man. That fear was a disease of man. All of us are prone to the symptoms of fear. So how then do we respond? That is the question. How do we overcome this fear? I want to wrap up just because it's about a year. There, it's, We're coming up on the anniversary of it. So I want to tell you about the most afraid I've ever been. This is, I'll close with this. February 10th, 2013. It's the day my daughter was born. We went into the hospital the night before to, to, for, to, for Tiffany to be induced. And we were really excited to be, to be meeting our daughter. And, and as a first-time dad, I had all the, the natural feelings and worries and doubts that go with, with, with having you know, something I have no control over. Yet, yet seeing my wife go through this and, and expecting and waiting to hold this little girl that I love that I never met yet. And so I was dealing with all of those feelings that go with that. And Tiffany and I kind of had a real you know, restless night. But around about 3 or 4 in the morning, she finally got some comfort and she was able to rest for a while before things got going again in the morning. Yet I could find no rest at all. I was worried. I was afraid. And I was anxious. And I knew this might be my only moment. Listen, I, I didn't know that these things took forever. All right? I was expecting that at any moment this baby was going to be born. Right? I mean, she wasn't born till 11 p.m. the next night. And here at 4 a, or 11 p.m. that night at 4 a.m., I'm thinking it's any minute. And so Tiffany's got some rest, and, and I think I, I, I got a minute. And so I went down the elevator there at Community North Hospital, and I began to walk around the lobby of that hospital. And I just want you to know, right then and there, in that lobby of Community North Hospital, I was broken before God in my fear. I was overwhelmed by it. And I did not know what to do. I knew that I was called to be strong and to be the provider for my wife. Yet in that moment, I was so fearful and I was so anxious and I did not know what to do. So I cried out to God in my fear. And you know what He did there in Community North Lobby? gave me courage. He showed me love. His. And also He renewed in my heart my love for my wife and my love for my daughter that I was about to meet. And He kind of shook me a little bit. 
And he said, stop thinking. All those are irrational fears that you're thinking. I've given you a sound mind. And in that moment, he dried up my tears. I sucked it up. <laughs> I quit like a man. Be brave like a man. I went and got myself the worst cup of coffee I've ever tasted. I didn't ever go to sleep. But I went back upstairs. I guess some 18 hours later, I got to meet that little girl. God meets us when we're most afraid. And He can help us. He can help you right now. <laughs> and that one's, that's what's so amazing about this, is that God can help you in your fears, and it's not some long, drawn-out process. He can help you right now. So I want you to be encouraged today. Whatever it is that's going on in your life that has you afraid, Whatever is going on around you in your environment today that has you afraid. Whatever it is that's grabbing your heart and is paralyzing you with fear, God knows all about it already. So draw near to Him. Take your unbelief and your doubts and your worries and your anxieties and all that would oppress you in fear and take it to Him. Because in Him, there's power and there's love there's a sound mind for His people. The 8th chapter book of Romans, 28th verse, says that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to those that are called according to His purpose. Those who are the called according to His purpose. Yes, even those things that make you afraid, God is working to good. So be assured and take confidence. May your faith be renewed today. May God bless you. Something on your heart. Something God wants you to say or do.